Would you please turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. Let's hear God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. The scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour. And they feared the people, for they, mis- for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority of the governor. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach correctly, and you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your wisdom and understanding in the reading and preaching of your word. We pray that you would apply it to our hearts. We pray that you would help us to be actively engaged and inwardly digesting and taking your word into our heart, that we might not sin against God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kevin Roos, a Brown University student, uh, transferred for a semester uh, to Liberty University. His intention was to immerse into the culture and even evangelize beachgoers on spring break with his class. And he wanted to expose the embarrassing underbelly and weaknesses of evangelical Christianity. And so this is what he did. And he wrote this book, The Unlikely Disciple, A Sinner's Semester at America's Holiest University. Now, I'm not sure that Liberty University is America's holiest university, but it's an evangelical school, and it's a good thing that uh, that, that Christians are there. I've been there before. It's quite a... Quite a university, quite a, uh, quite a, a, a campus. Uh, many of us are aware that they are in the news some, in the last uh, year or two. Uh, presidents of universities fall and fail. Uh, that's, uh, Christians are not impervious to this. The truth is that uh, even in a holy university or a Christian university that holds itself out to the world as, as being a Christian university will in fact have sinners there, and it doesn't change the facts of who Christ is and and what Christ has done. Never does an individual or a fellow Christians or professing Christians sin in any way negate the truth of the gospel. It doesn't change anything. Yes, Christians sin. Well, this man wrote a book, and uh, he acted for a semester, very much like the scheming spies of this section in this particular passage this week uh, did with Jesus. 
And I love the language of Scripture. It, 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 it doesn't hold anything back. It says explicitly that they pretended to be righteous persons. The, the meaning is that these were not righteous people. They are ungodly men. They intend to go at the behest of the Herodians and the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. Their intention is to go to to ask questions, and we'll see in this in the surrounding context three questions are asked of the Lord. It's never really a good thing when someone enters into the church and begins asking questions about the fringes of God's law. It's never a good thing when someone joins the church or, or begins coming to the church and they begin asking questions that are peripheral questions upon which they stake whether or not they will stay or go. And it's never a good thing when Christians beginning asking questions, well, tell me, Pastor, to, to, to what extent may I indulge in this particular behavior? At what point does it become sin? Well... The answer to that question is, if you have such questions, you may not, you, you probably ought not to be doing it. Well, schemes and spies and unrighteous persons, and that's who's after Jesus in this particular passage. And this passage will show us, I think, a couple of things. It'll remind us what obligations we have towards our government and uh, authorities within the government and, and everything that comes with them. And there's a lot that comes with them and here in the Western world. But also it will remind us of, of who we are in Jesus and what we owe to God. There are three controversial questions to set up the, uh, the, the exposition of this passage to explain it simply in some way. Uh, Jesus has been engaging and, and teaching his disciples, but uh, and, and by that I don't mean just the twelve, but also more, uh, those who are following him, people who have believed in him, people who are all around him, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's speaking to the people, as chapter 20, verse 1 outlines, and then engaging with those who are skeptics, those who are asking questions, they came and asked a question in verse 4 of chapter 20. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from, from, from men? And then he asks them a question. And then he makes a, a summary statement by way of a, a parable, as it were. He sets up an analogy of vine growers, a, a situation where Vine growers have uh, a, a, a landowner has prepared a beautiful vine uh, or a, a beautiful field filled with vines. He has lovingly provided for this farm and then rents it out to tenants. And then, of course, he delivers a summary judgment at the end uh, as he explains that the landowner ultimately will come to them because they have not paid their rent and they have harmed his servants and they have killed his son that he will, in fact, destroy them when he comes. They know that he is talking about them. In fact, in our passage, we are told that. The end of verse 19, they understood that he spoke this parable against them. And so they've desired that what, what, they'll, what we'll do, you, you can see them, they're all in a room uh, it's a smoke-filled room. There, there's, 
there's a dog there sitting by their feet and they are being served and and it's it's dark in there and they're all ruminating as they look and they think how can we get this man how can we continue to maintain our position of authority and hold on to our position amongst the people of God and still serve God with fear how can we still serve God in such a way that we live in a godly manner and and thus glorify God with our conduct and our lives this is what we'll do we'll send spies to undermine the words of the ones sent by him you know i'm speaking with a certain level of snark well that's what they desired to do these are supposed to be the most godly men the most godly individuals of all of israel and they come up with this plan we're going to send spies and those spies you can ask deliberative questions questions that are on the fringe way out there where if you answer in one way you're in trouble and if you answer in the other way you're in trouble as well it's like asking a question that's very very dangerous and you know that the answer is not going to be good it's like asking a person are you done driving drunk in that question there's an assumption that that if you answer that question no because i never did without the explanation uh, no well that means well then you're going to continue to drive drunk if you answer the question well yes i'm done now you're saying you're implying by your answer well you've been driving drunk and and now you're saying i won't do it anymore you see there are questions that are asked in certain ways that can evoke a provocative answer that will alienate certain parts of one's audience immediately so that's the design of these questions each of them and this is the second question <clears throat> they're going to send these men with the ability or or frankly maybe maybe a cheat list maybe they pull it out of their pocket and say teacher we have a question for you and that question is off the list i don't know but one way or the other these are unscrupulous people they are unrighteous people and they are sent by the pharisees and the herodians to do it now it's very interesting to look at who they are in matthew's gospel chapter 21 and in mark's gospel chapter 12 the same event is recorded the same conversation is recorded but there are the two groups here in a general way scribes and chief priests but more specifically the pharisees and the herodians came to jesus and they're identified in mark's gospel and in matthew's gospel now the pharisees they considered themselves to be in their name means separated ones they are separated from common life unto the service of the living god they had a strict obedience of the law both written and oral they opposed strongly the occupation of the romans and the herodians are a very different group one that they had they had a typically uh, a long-term hatred of one another The Herodians were supporters of the Herodian family and dynasty, supporters of the Roman authorities. You see how they the clash. But the two of them have come together for one purpose and that is to oppose Jesus. 
They hate Jesus. He's upsetting the religious authority and the structure of life within Israel. And so they are approaching with a question about taxation. It's kind of like the last two and a half years as I fielded a number of phone calls from individuals asking if we were still worshiping with our masks on. Now, there have been times when we were required by local and uh, government authorities to wear masks if we were to gather for worship. And in submission to Romans chapter 13 and out of a desire to be good citizens, and we have done so. And there have been times, too, when this church, our host, who own, they own this building and we rent from them, who have asked us in, with kindness to mask, and we have done it again. And we have done so out of Christian kindness, out of Christian love, out of submission to our governing authorities. But there have been some who have called and expressed a, a deep dissatisfaction with our conscious obedience. I don't think any of us has been a, ma- a radical mask wearer. But we love the Lord. And we are thankful for our, Christ- our hosts. And we are thankful for our governing authorities. And so we have sought to do right by our government. But there have been others who have, who have fought over that. And the first question out of their mouth is not, do you preach the word? And what do you sing? What are your people like? How long have you existed as a church? What time are your services? No, it wasn't any of that. Do you still wear masks in your worship services? It's been very interesting. It's a controversial question that was dividing, in some way, Christian people. Uh, there were some who felt that we should wear masks longer, and there were some who felt that we should never wear a single mask at all when we gathered. I have my own opinions, but that really doesn't matter. Ultimately, we, I think we made good, wise, careful decisions. And I think we're all alive today for it, and, and, and not because of it. I don't want to say that, but, but we're alive and well, and we're okay, and, and we're none the worse for wear because we wore a mask for a few extra weeks. Well, you can see that controversies are easy to find, even in our present age. And in Jesus' day... Uh, what you do with taxation and Roman occupation and Roman money with the image of Caesar on it are pretty controversial. So these two groups gathered together and their intention was to ask, uh, we want to find, we want to catch him in something uh, so we can deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. And so they questioned him, teacher. And before they ask the question, they flatter. Beware of people who flatter you. Beware even when a Christian brother or sister comes up to you and say, I just want to tell you what a beautiful shirt you have on this morning. They may be asking for a favor in the next statement. There's nothing wrong with that. You just flatter and then we ask and then we feel better about having been asked. But we all do that to some degree and, and we do it as a joke. It's kind of fun. Did I tell you what a good-looking person you are? Well, you know, we need a little help with... Well, that's what they're doing. 
But for them, it's malicious and it's wicked. It's intended not as a friendly gesture or kindness, but they want to catch him. And so they think, can you see the foolishness of these individuals? They think that Jesus, the ever-living Son of God, who has dwelt in resplendent glory, who is radiant in his beauty, even in his physical body, they think that in some way he's going to be drawn into their flattery. Oh, I just love to hear what you've said about me. Let me give you an answer that fits precisely with what you're after. Is Jesus so weak-willed, so foolish? Does he, is he not still the omniscient God who knows all things? So they come to him. <clears throat> they are insincere, they're deceptive. They ask him these questions, or this question, even though they hate each other. And it's an interesting question, and, and it has implications for the crowds that are gathered around Jesus. Uh, just when Jesus was between when Jesus was a young boy between the ages of six and ten, there was yet another revolt over Roman taxation. And it was uh, not something minor. It was over and over again. Uh, before Jesus' time as well, uh, there was uh, Judas uh, Maccabeus, and he, he had fought against this idea of paying tribute to the Romans, and he had refused uh, to do so. But there remained a, still a problem for the Pharisees and the Herodians and the people that Jesus is preaching to. They, have, they still are occupied by the Romans. They still have in their pocket a little coin that has the image of the emperor on one side. And it says Tiberius Caesar Augustus, which means son of the divine Augustus. There is a proclamation of his divinity. He claimed to be the Son of God. On the other side of the coin is a picture of his mother, and there it says Pontifect Maximus, which the Pope in the Church of Rome still claims today. What that means is the high priest. And that coin was used to pay the poll tax in fulfillment of the claim of the Roman emperor to have not only political control over all those within his empire, but also spiritual control. And so these Jews, as they put that poll tax in, they are acknowledging, I am acknowledging Caesar's spiritual control and his physical control over me as a person. You, you understand the significance of, 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 of what that coin represents and of what this tax Represents It's a significant issue for them. And it's a legitimate one, I think. And the Jews have been fighting over this question for 500 years. In addition to that, there were all sorts of other taxes. A ground tax on land uh, consisting of a tenth of, of all grain, a fifth of wine and fruit, an income tax which was 1% of a man's earnings. Then there was a poll tax on all men between the ages of 14 and 65 and on all, all women between 12 and 65. And this tax was one denarius. The coin in question 
And a denarius was the daily working age of, of one man. Now the Jews also additionally, in fulfillment of God's commands, did not believe in the making of an image. So they refused images, and and there on that coin was the image of one who claimed to be divine. And so you see the offensiveness of all of it. It's a legitimate question, but not asked from insincere, wicked hearts whose intention is to trip up the Savior over a question that has not been answered for 500 years, but who has no problem answering that question ultimately. And you can see the personal integrity of Christ. He has no regard for the opinions of men and women, nor is he a respecter of persons. Proverbs 29.25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. And Jesus shows this by way of an example. Now notice Jesus' answer. Excuse me, the question that they come asking him is, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach, blah, 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 blah. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That word is different in the Greek, what they're asking, than what Jesus says, pay to God or render to God. They are different verbs. And what they are asking is, Is it right for us to give, which is the word didomai, to give or to give a gift? That's what they're saying. Is it right for us to give this to him? In other words, implicit in their statement is a refusal of their obligation to him, to the Roman Caesar, and to government, to authorities. And Jesus replies and says, pay, apodidomai, pay and give back. That's what that word means, the tax. There's a difference between a a willing non-obligation and a payment of an obligation. And what they're saying is, we don't have an obligation here. Should we be willing to give it? And Jesus is saying, here is an obligation that you have. Pay it. So he gives a twofold answer. Pay for what you receive. coin designates their implicit acceptance of their obligation to Caesar in the sense that they enjoy the roads that have been made for them. They enjoy the the Roman authority in, in the sense that they protect them from other marauding nations. They give them a reasonable sense of security. They provide law and order and have left them largely to the free exercise of their religious principles. Largely. They have. The Pharisees are still in power. The scribes, Sadducees, high priests, still in power. The temple is still open. And so implicit in their obligation is their acceptance of the fact that they enjoy the services that Caesar provides. Caesar's image is on the very coin you use to pay for your obligation, and so pay for what you owe. And then further, Jesus goes 
and expounds a bit more. And to God, the things that are God's. Pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and pay to God the things that are God's. Caesar's image is on the coin, but God's image is on you. And that's what Jesus is pointing to. Pay what you owe. By implicit obligation, therefore you belong to God. You are under divine obligation to give to God what is his due. His ownership and our obligation to him could not be clearer. And that that fundamentally is what Jesus says. So there are two things for us to look at as we continue. First is, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. Second is, pay to God what is God's. So let's look at what he is saying. He is saying when you pay that poll tax, you aren't giving a gift to Caesar. Caesar's already built you these things. You've already enjoyed living in the country that you do. Even though you've seen a loss of many freedoms, there are still a plethora of freedoms that you do enjoy because of the presence of the Romans. And now you pretend to have religious scruples over paying him for it. You should have complained not when you were paying taxes, but rather you should have complained when in fact he began building roads. When you began to use the services that you enjoy. It's like saying to us uh, in our present day and age, we complain about our taxes and paying of the taxes and our tax burden. And our tax burden is per capita more than I think many places in the world, and we pay a lot of taxes. But, you know, we partake of a great many services, too. And what he's saying to them is, look, you you, you ultimately, you, you benefit from the services Caesar provides, pay to Caesar what is inherently owed to Caesar. And for us, we benefit from various services our government provides. And so the implication for us in light of this principle is, if we really have a problem with our government, then, 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 then don't pay your excise tax and don't pay your income tax, but, but also don't, don't benefit from municipal water that comes through your drains and, or through your pipes, and, and don't flush your water down the drain, and most certainly don't accept the electricity that comes through your line through federal and state regulation. By the way, don't even drive a car because cars have inspection stickers and your mechanics are, are state certified, federally certified, and they are manufactured in federally certified factories. And we all benefit ultimately from the services which our government provides. Well, there are many things in our world that have the stamp of Caesar on them. Government obligations are Intimately involved in the details of our every single day. Car registration, real estate taxes, fishing licenses, payroll taxes, sales taxes. We depend upon police and fire and emergency crews. Many of us are buying our health insurance from the health connector. We go to the doctor's office. We rely on government agencies that the person standing before us poking and prodding and touching uh, those various parts of our bodies that only a doctor can. We are relying on the fact that our government agencies have licensed them properly and are holding them to a certain account, uh, accountable standard. 
a measurable level of skill. And the same could be said with our car mechanics. We don't bring it to a car mechanic who really doesn't know his way around the car. We want someone who's been properly trained, licensed, knows what they're doing. And really, I think this provides a helpful perspective for Christians to take towards our government, towards taxes. Governing authorities are governing precisely because God has placed them there. And even when they are unrighteous, we still owe our obligations to them, and thus we should fulfill our obligations without grumbling. And even when they are unrighteous, we still owe our obligations to them, and thus we should fulfill our obligations without grumbling. Romans 13 speaks to this. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake, skipping ahead, but for because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Oh yes, our government authorities do devote themselves to taxes. We know that well. We have a legitimate complaint that perhaps we are overtaxed. We have a legitimate complaint in in many different ways that the, the government intrusion into our lives is oppressive, is far too reaching. I agree totally. And yet, does that relieve us from our obligations before our government? No. When there are places where the government goes beyond the word of God and they they would call us into a violation of our, con, con, uh, our conscience, then we must obey God rather than man. We have every right to argue within, within our governmental uh, allowed freedom of speech. We have a right to argue for less of a tax burden, a right to argue for less government intrusion on our homes, our lives, our children, our schools. But at the end of the day, we are under obligation to that government and we must fulfill our obligations to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. At the very least, we have an obligation to be careful, thoughtful, meditative about what we say about our government officials. I don't think we should be flippant. I think we should watch our language think that we should be respectful because God commands us to do so. The second thing that Jesus says is pay to God what is God's. You know, God's ownership is not questioned. Within scripture, it says in many places, I'll share two with you. First Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Dear friend, we we must surrender our lives to God and our liberty, the pursuit of our happiness. You know that your obligation to God, your life with God, your life unto God is of far greater importance than your perception of your role here as a citizen in this government here in the United States of America. Before anything, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
Isaiah 43, 2. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my by name. You are mine. Now, you can kick against that idea and you can say, I don't want to belong to the Lord. And I don't I don't want to fulfill my obligations to God. You can say that. But if you're a child of God, you understand how deeply comforting it is to know that I belong to the Lord, that you belong to God. It is an extraordinary thing to know that we belong to him. Do you have a dog or a cat at home? And, and no, God does not deal with us as his pets. But, but I'm trying to make a, a limited analogy. Do you have a dog or a cat at home? What do you do with that dog or cat? You take very, very good care of that animal, most likely. And why do you do that? Well, because they belong to you. What about children? Far greater analogy. What do you do as a mother or a father? And no, children are not your pets. But, but, but I'm, I'm trying to arrive at a conclusion here with you as we think this through. Just as we're very responsible for our pets and we watch carefully over them and, and their well-being and their welfare. Is something we would almost give our lives for. I know two people in particular who would almost give their lives for their cats. And that's okay. What about children, mothers, dads? What would you do for your children? You'd do anything for them. You would. You'd dive into a, a deep and swift moving river. You would, in order to save your child. I read stories every month, it seems, in the news where a father or a mother has dived into a, a swift moving stream of water, a river of water, in order to save their children. The mother and father, they, they, they save their child, but they succumb to the to drowning. Yesterday, I, I read this news story about a woman whose car was carjacked. Don't, don't, just an aside, a public service message. When you go to the convenience store, please lock your vehicle, especially when your children are in it. Don't leave it running and unlocked. People will drive away, as they did. And this woman saw this, this woman driving away with her two children in her vehicle. She jumped on the hood. She held on for dear life. She was not going to let those children go. That's what mothers and fathers do. Now you, you love your children far less than God loves his people. And when he says, I love you, and you are mine, he is saying, your welfare is my business. Your welfare, your care is my intimate concern. And for the believer, that is deeply comforting. He goes on in that Isaiah passage, since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I know for a fact that we, we really don't understand the level to which the, 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 the heights and the depths of the love of God that he has for us. 
This is what Paul says in Ephesians. He prays that they might they might know the height and the depth and the width of the knowledge of the love of God. There are many things that have the stamp of Caesar in our world, but then there are things that belong to God, the things that have his image on them. You, you have the image of God stamped upon you. You were created in the image of God. You belong to God by right of creation. You've been made in the image and likeness of God. You belong to him. Have you acknowledged God's right over you and to you? To have you live his way. To have you live for him. To have you make him the higher priority in your life. More than your occupation. More than any other thing. To have you live his way. Is this measurably observable in your moral choices the way you use your free time God has ownership of my life God is my judge and I am a steward of what God has given to me and of the time that I have do you acknowledge God's right over you in the way that you redeem your time do you watch movies engage in banter with your co-workers interact with your fellow Christians and in all those things do you acknowledge that yes God is my God and I am his have you given your life to God you know the, the, the government has the power to restrict or to take away your liberties as many of us have felt over these last two and a half years and they may even have the right in doing so at times. Certainly government should restrict the liberties and even incarcerate and even engage in capital punishment, depending on the severity of the crime of those who perpetrate that crime and, and murder in our country. But God has power too, you know. God has power too. The power to withhold his blessing. The power to discipline his beloved servant, his children that we might repent of our independence and wasting of the time that he gives to us. He has power to incarcerate eternally and everlasting judgment, everlasting punishment if we have disobeyed him and refused to give to God what is God's because he is our maker and he is our judge. And all humanity is moving ultimately to toward the end of all things in that day of judgment. We often complain about the far-reaching power of government, but have we considered the almighty power of our cosmos-creating, end-of-the-world-judging, every-soul-seeing, everlasting God? What motivation do I have for giving myself to God when I have so many things I want to enjoy? I have a bucket list, you see, and I have only so much time, and... <clears throat> I love myself and I have a lot of things I want to experience and do. What motivation can you give me for giving myself up so completely and willingly to God? Well, we receive benefits from our government. Aren't we worshiping freely this morning in a secure nation because of the taxes that we pay to come to, to, to support the government that we serve. We are, we do. But have we not also benefited from the riches of God's grace in Christ Jesus? I can give myself to God daily, freely, because I'm indebted to him. He sent forth his beloved son to rescue us 
sinners and rebels from our lost condition, the misery of our sin. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to die for sinful flesh and to endure our penalty. All so that we could be rescued from the righteous judgment of God, rescued from his wrath, redeemed from the curse, freed from the tyranny of sin. Does living for ourselves make any sense in the light of this? Does pursuing our appetites for sin make sense at all? Does your resistance against this God make sense if you have not paid to God what is his and have not yet acknowledged his rights over you as your creator and judge? It it is time to do so. Hebrews 3 and 4 in those chapters there say repeatedly, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't make the tragic decision of those men who sought to catch Jesus. And don't respond like they did at the end. How did they respond at the end? They went away silent. Not saved. Not redeemed. Not changed. Silent. There will be many people who will be in hell one day because they were they were silent. They simply did not wrestle with the ownership of God. They, they continued silently to reject God and his ownership of them, refusing to acknowledge his rights as their creator and their God. I give Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones the last word here this morning. The moment you believe, you will find that you are a child of God. You're still a man or a woman in the world as he was in the world, but you are You are a new man, a new woman. You've been born again. You've got a new nature within you. You know that you're a child of God. You can talk to God as your father so that when all things seem against us to drive us to despair, we know one gate is open. One ear will hear our prayer. God becomes a father to us and he begins to pour his blessings upon us. He will give you peace of conscience. He will give you quiet in your heart. You will be able to put your head on your pillow tonight and sleep like a babe, not fearful of death or the grave or of judgment. Because you know that you are a child of God. What is more, because you are a child of God, then you are an heir of God himself and a joint heir with Christ. Oh, the blessings of this Christian life are untold. You have a new outlook upon life. May God enable us to have a Christian outlook on our governing authorities and upon our obligations to the Lord, our God. Let's pray. O God, our Father, our great God who is in heaven, we who are upon earth ask of you that you would grant us wisdom in the way in which we live in this world. We are often at odds with our government over moral issues, and that is one thing. But we often also complain. Lord, help us to be men and women who happily fulfill our obligations to our government, especially if we work in government or interact with government authorities. Help us to do so with respect, showing respect to the Lord and to what God has provided, even when we detect that our government, the governing authorities are either inept or opposed to us. 
Oh Lord, we ask that you would help us to live for God. More and more for God. To fulfill the law of our God. To love our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to serve you. To render our lives back as a thank offering. And by render we mean pay. To fulfill our obligation to you. To pay back. Not that we could ever satisfy our great debt. But that in some way we might pay back what we owe in obligation to you. Because we are not our own. You have redeemed us with a price. And we are yours. We thank you that together with that, Lord, you tell us also that you are our God. So you not only claim possession and ownership over us, but you also claim that we may possess you. Not in the sense that we may own you or somehow manipulate you, but but you are our God, unlike any other. For you are an extraordinary God. And you have pledged yourself to us to be our God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.